Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We will be turning there in just a moment. I'll add my welcome. Thank you all for being here. It's uh, the area of the country you live in, you're never really sure about who might be here on a Sunday morning. Uh, and especially days like this when traffic is so uh, difficult to get out here, it's, uh, it's very much appreciative of those who are able to make it. And it's good to be here this morning to be able to, to worship our God on this first day of the week. Um, just a personal note, it's been wonderful having my dear friend, the Henderson family, here this weekend. Been able to be out a little bit and enjoy um, Jeff and his prayer. Uh, Thank God for the wonderful, beautiful creation that he has given us. And if you spend any time outdoors around here, you'll see that handiwork firsthand. The beautiful area in which we live. And we're very appreciative of that, of course, from our Heavenly Father. And it's been wonderful to have them visiting um, this weekend. Lots of Sunday mornings where Laura sat beside me up in Athens, so it was a little nostalgic. She's a lot smaller then. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a joy. They call me Uncle Kevin or Uncle Bear, and so it's a, a very close relationship, and um, I feel very close to Tanya as a sister, and I'm glad Jeff's here also. Uh, Jeff's a brother to me, and uh, a very dear friend, and uh, a good friend. Good to have a little, a little older wisdom, and certainly a lot longer preaching. So I, I rely on Jeff a lot. So I appreciate him very much. Okay, enough of that. It's good to see everyone this morning. I want to bring you a message from God's Word here. We have been talking about our highest and best service to God. This is a series that we have ongoing. And what I have quoted there from Proverbs 3 and verse 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The idea is that we need to be giving God and and dedicating ourselves to God the highest and best way that we can. And so we've been looking at lessons that help us understand that, to help us um, drive that point home. And, and, And the idea is that we're not just going through the motions. You know, that's what uh, was so um, corrupting and so um, what was so much wrong with the children of Israel is that eventually they just started going through the motions. And we see that even more so as the New Testament opens and with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the, the ritualistic things that they were going through. And, and Jesus in his, in his teaching and his preaching showed them that their, their heart was missing from it. Sure, they knew scripture. Sure, they were doing all these things in the name of God. But their heart wasn't in it. And so that's what I hope we're getting from these lessons is that we have things that we need to do and are commanded to do, but our heart needs to be in those things. And so we've been looking at a series of lessons about how we might do that. And we've started with taking the five acts of worship and looking at each one of those and how is it that we can best um, sing How is it that we can best pray? How is it that when we gather around the table to partake of the Lord's Supper as we we did just a moment ago, how can we make sure that we're giving our best when it comes to that? And so this morning we want to talk about, in continuing in this series, uh, our best giving, our best giving back um, from how we have uh, prospered in this world. And 
and throughout this lesson, when I'm, when I'm talking about giving, I'm talking about the act of worship, where we, where we put money into the offering plate. And that money is then used by this uh, congregation to further the gospel here, to, to help pay the preacher, uh, and to help those needy saints when those times come along. So when I'm talking about giving, that's what I'm talking about. And certainly, there's other things outside of that when we give on a, on a personal, individual basis. But for the purpose of our study, what we're talking about is that act of worship, where we're co we've come together and we've done that this morning. We've, the, the, the plate has been passed and we put our, our monies in there. So how is it that we can best do that? And what is the heart behind that? What is the mindset behind that? So that's what we'll talk about this morning. So I want to start with um, some fundamentals, some basics um, to set the stage here. And what we want to talk about is ensuring our best giving. So how is it that we go about making sure that we're, that we're giving our best? So first of all, it starts with the very basics, and that is the following the instructions to give. If you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, read with me verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, he says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also, on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save, as he may prosper, that no collection be made when I come. So in these two verses, we have a lot of information. We're told when we are to engage in what we engaged in about giving. We're told how much. We're told by how much, by the fact that how much we have prospered. Under the Old Testament, they were bound by tithing. They were to give a tenth of everything. The New Testament, Paul says, helps us to understand as he has this directive to the church here in Corinth and the other churches, you lay by in store as you have prospered. So it's up to the individual how they are to give or how much they are to give back. And that puts the, I hate to use the word burden, but it puts the, the decision making on us. How much am I going to put in the, in the offering plate as it comes by? Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Is it just an amount that I, this is what I have in my pocket? Or is it an amount that you have purpose in your heart? Is it an amount that you have set aside and have convinced yourself that this is what I'm going to give back to God? And these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Paul is leaving it up to the saints. He says, as you have prospered in this week, this is what you are to give back. So we simply have the instructions to give. And brethren, I'll also tell you that as a, a member of each congregation, that's what we are bound to do if we identify ourselves with a congregation then we give to that group, that's how we function in this giving back, so that the church then may engage in evangelism and edification and, uh, and help for needy saints. That's 52 weeks a year. So if we're not here any number of those 52 weeks, we need to make sure that we make accommodations for that. If we miss a Sunday because we're sick, we need to make up what we missed in our giving the next Sunday. If we know we're going to be out of town, we might ahead of time post date checks or give a lump sum or make it up when we get back, whatever that might be. But the idea here is, is that we are part of this work and we are a part of this congregation. And so therefore, we need to make sure that we're doing this accordingly. Because what does Paul say in verse 2? On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside as he may prosper. 
We need to make sure we're doing that. Very simple commands, very simple to follow. But we need to make sure that we are doing that. That way, that's where we start and make sure that we are giving the best to God. And I mentioned there the idea of wanting to give. Look over in 2 Corinthians now, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So much of uh, Jesus' teaching, the apostles' teaching, uh, is the idea of it's important, what the, the heart behind what we're doing, the motivation behind what we're doing. Sure, we can put money in the offering plate as it comes by, but what is the motivation that led us to put in that check or that amount of cash or whatever it might be into that offering plate? What has led us to that point? In 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6, it says, Now this I say to you, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that, all, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. See, this is where Paul gets to the heart of the giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, is kind of the mechanics of it. First day of the week, as you have prospered, so that no collection be made when I come. Paul talks about the heart of the giving here, in other places as well, which we'll look at. But this is the idea of wanting to give. Let each one do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but because I want to give. That's why I'm giving. He quotes there from Psalm uh, 112. Turn there, let's look at that, because that's important in in seeing the, uh, the heart behind the matter here from Psalm 112. Let's turn there and, and read that. It's a short psalm. <clears throat> psalm 112. Listen closely and understand uh, the, the praise that is given for this one who seeks to, pray, to, seeks to serve God and to give him the praises. Psalm 112, beginning verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of an upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the, upward, for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain the cause in his judgment, or in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil things. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on the adversaries. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. See, that describes the heart behind all that we do. Especially there, as Paul pulls there from verse 9, he has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And he makes the connection that this is what you need to do when you give. Purpose this in your heart. Not grudgingly, not out of compulsion. Not saying, well, I know i got to give this percentage, and this is the check I'm going to write every week. And, but, but out of a, uh, the heart, out of wanting to give, 
making sure that we have the proper motivation, that will ensure that we are doing the best in our giving. Something that's often overlooked in our giving is the idea of the fellowship that we have when we give. Look over in Philippians chapter 4. Some part that we sometimes, I think, don't think about. But the idea that, that we are connected, the bonds of like precious faith, not just in this community and this congregation, but other congregations that are practicing what the Lord would have them to do and holding up to the pattern of the New Testament church. We have a connection with them. And there are things that we do uh, to help one another out when those times are there. And this is what Paul is writing about here in, first, in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. He says, And you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I speak of the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, the brethren at Philippi were helping to support Paul while he was traveling around and preaching the gospel. And he's thanking them for that. And he's saying, even when I was in Thessalonica, you helped me out there. No church has given me like you have. And there's the connection there. He says, it shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. You see, they're doing the giving, and Paul's doing the receiving. And Paul says, it's not that I, for the gift, that's, I'm, he's, he's certainly not dismissing that, uh, the, the monetary and the things that they had sent to him to help him along his way, but he's saying that your sharing and your fellowship in the gospel is what I'm praising because we have this in common. You're helping to spread the gospel. And it says that there at the end of verse 18, the, the, what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So in their giving, what they're doing is they're showing how to be pleasing to God. And that fragrant aroma that's coming up is pleasing to God. We've been talking recently about the, the sacrifices under the old law and how they would offer incense and uh, the grain offering and the burnt offering and all those aromas would come up to God as a fragrant aroma and they were pleasing to God. And Paul equates that with our giving. He equates that with the sacrifices that we make. We don't slaughter bulls and goats anymore. We don't offer incense and grain offerings. But the idea of that aroma coming up to God is still there. The idea that we are doing something that is pleasing to God. And we're sharing in it. We're sharing in the fellowship that we have one with another. Look back over in 2 Corinthians 9. <clears throat> we stopped in our reading there in, in verse uh, 9. Let's pick up in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. So again, here's the idea of sharing in uh, our giving and, the, and the, the fruits that come from that. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to all the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest 
for your righteousness. And stop there for just a moment and understand who's being talked about here. It says, now he, now God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, will supply and multiply your seed. You see, in our giving, sometimes we think, well, we just can't, I can't afford that. I can't afford to give this much. I can't afford to do this right now. Paul's letting them know that, do you think God's not going to be able to provide? You think that God's just going to look at at the books and decide that he can't provide this? Where's your faith? He supplies need to the sower and bread for the food. As long as we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, God's going to provide. Paul makes that point. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. See that? It's overflowing. There's lots of need that is going on, and particularly what Paul is talking about here, and what we'll look at in a minute in chapter 8, is saints in other places sending monies to Jerusalem to help out the needy saints that are there. They were in great need. And so when the other brethren around the area heard about it, they were wanted to send money so that they could help the needy saints in Jerusalem. That's what's being referred to here. And Paul is saying, it's overflowing. It's abundant. Don't be stingy in your greedy, in your giving. Verse 13. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they are also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. So this, this overflowing, this abundance of giving epitomizes, demonstrates what these Corinthian brethren were doing. They were willing to give of themselves. They were willing to do this. And, and Paul is saying, and the people that are receiving it will recognize it. They'll recognize that you are giving. They'll recognize that you are holding to the faith. And look what he says in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, what gift is he talking about? Is he talking about the gift that they're sending to Jerusalem? Well, no. That gift is describable, isn't it? That's the monies that these people have given, and they're sending it to Jerusalem to help the needy saints. The indescribable gift that Paul is referring to here is this whole process of how brethren in Macedonia and in Corinth can be giving money, pulling it together, sending it to Jerusalem to help out those needy saints that are there. That's the precious gift. That's the wonderful plan that God has put forth in his church, that we can help each other out. And so that's the fellowship in our giving. So when we give, let's understand that those, those monies can be uh, set aside, can be um, marked to give to some other church that might be needing it, some saint in that church that might be needing it, some that have suffered some, from some disaster. We have hurricanes in this part of the world. It's okay for, for the brethren here to decide we're going to send a, a sum of money over to this, th- these saints over here because they have suffered terribly and they need help. We have that fellowship with them. So let's not lose sight of that and let's not lose... Uh, sight of the fact that that might not happen for 10 years now. 
But every first day of the week, we should be thinking about this money might be used to help needy saints somewhere else. And, then, and in so doing, we can have fellowship with those saints. That's kind of very basics. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at a, a wonderful example of a, a group that embodies really what we're talking about here. And that is over a couple of pages back probably in your Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here we have a wonderful example of brethren giving. And there are some circumstances that you would think that they wouldn't be able to give. But Paul points out that indeed they are. And we have some wonderful lessons that we can learn from these brethren that Paul points out. And understand this that comes from verse 5. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. And all that we do, it would be well for us to remember that part of the verse. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Whatever we engage in, singing, praying, all the things that we do on the first day of the week, all these acts of worship, it speaks to where our heart is. First, give yourself to the Lord. Then these things will be uh, done in the proper manner because they have the proper motivation. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Look there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to read through verse 7, and then we're going to come back and, and, and break this down a little bit and look at some different aspects, some different attitudes that are displayed in these brethren. I read this a moment ago. Let's read it again quickly. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urged Titus that, he had, uh, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete this uh, in gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Let's talk about these brethren in Macedonia. Again, they are, have made this contribution to the needy saints in Jerusalem. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he's talking about these attitudes uh, that these displayed in their giving. And the first is the idea of a sacrificial attitude. It says there in verses 2 and 3 that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So they're suffering persecution as well. They're suffering uh, some great affliction. But even so, they gave. Even in their affliction. They were experienced poverty themselves. But they gave liberally, even though they were experiencing this poverty. And they weren't expected to do this. But they gave out of their poverty instead of out of their wealth. That reminds you of our Lord as he's witnessing the widow putting in her two mites. It says that she gave out of her poverty while you gave out of your wealth. And he recognizes the, the idea that 
those that are wealthy, it's easy for them to give, right? They have money. It's not as easy for those who are poor. But even these, these brethren are, are demonstrating that sacrificial attitude that they're willing to give even though they're suffering persecution themselves. There's also on display here a joyful attitude. It says there in verse 2 that in a great ordeal and affliction, their abundance of joy. That's interesting, isn't it? Right in the middle of their poverty and the affliction that they're suffering, there's an abundance of joy. They had discovered the joy of giving. They had discovered what it means to appreciate and to engage in the fellowship that we have with one another. Paul reminds the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, what Jesus said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. There's a lot of joy in that. At least there should be. In James chapter 1, there in verse 2, he speaks of the uh, consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's what's being talked about here. You're encountering various trials, but look, you have the, 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 the opportunity to give. And that giving is going to provide something for a needy saint. And there's joy in that. These Macedonians seem to have discovered that idea of the joy when they're encountering various trials. And these brethren, we also see a, a voluntary attitude. It says there in verse 3, I testify that according to their own ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. See, there's, there's the idea here. They're giving of their uh, voluntarily, not out of compulsion, not begrudgingly, as Paul talked about over there in 2 Corinthians 9. This is the kind of giving that God expects of us today. Of our own accord. We talked about how there's no amount given other than as we have prospered this week. We cannot require people to give against their will. It says there in verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. We are instructed to give as we have prospered. We, we have to make that decision. How much have we prospered? How much do we appreciate what God has given to us and want to give back to him? It must come from a willingness and a readiness, as he mentions there down in verse 12. It says, For if readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what man has, not according to what he does not have. Here's that idea of being ready. That's why we lay by and store on every first day of the week. So there's money in the treasury. So there, there, there's a readiness there. We are ready if something comes along, if there's a needy saint. If there's uh, a chance for edification or, or an uh, opportunity for evangelism somewhere outside of this, of this group, we have that at the ready. We can make that, those monies flow to that. Not grudgingly or out of compulsion. Otherwise, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the point altogether. And these brethren also demonstrate a persistent attitude. Paul says there in verse 4, begging us with much entreaty, for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Begging us with much entreaty. Please take our money. Wouldn't take no for an answer. Can you imagine having that kind of attitude? Please take this money. I, I liken this to um, when we're younger, maybe when we're still older. There's something out there that we might want to buy. And it costs this much money. And so you're setting aside this much money. And on the day that you have that money all saved up, 
you get to go to the store and buy whatever it is that you are longing to have. Do we have that kind of anticipation when we arrive here on Sunday morning? I can't wait to put this money in the plate and hope that there's an opportunity that these monies can be used, not just for this congregation, not just to keep the lights on and the air conditioning and all that. Sometimes we, we, we get bogged down in the, in the mechanics of everything. They, they, they're important. But the monies are, are, are there to, to have fellowship with one another and with those in, in our kingdom. So we have that same kind of excitement on Sunday morning. And lastly, these uh, brethren demonstrated a God-first attitude, as we made mention there in verse 5. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. That's really where it all begins, isn't it? First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Before all of this that Paul is talking about here, their poverty, um, the, the joy that they had, uh, this voluntary, they're, okay, we're going to take up the collection. Before they did all that, they had given themselves to the Lord. So we need to make sure that we continue in that, continue in that attitude of putting God first. This gives us the insight into why they did what they did, because they gave themselves to God. There's the motivation behind all of it. They did not have to worry about the cost of giving. Well, how much is this going to cost me? How much is, am I going to be able to, to make my rent? Am I going to be able to, uh, to pay my car payment? Now, those things are important. But giving to first, those first fruits to God, that's what's really important. They were abiding in what Jesus had promised that great promise over there in Matthew 6, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you will eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on it. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? We stress out about those things, don't we? It's only natural. The worldly things, how are we going to make sure that we can do all these things? Put food on the table. Jesus is saying, don't worry about those things. Down to verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Troubles are going to be there every day. The cares of the world are going to be there every day. You need to rise above that. You need to rise above that and understand that let's first give ourselves to the Lord, and then everything else will take care of itself through our diligent pursuing of righteousness. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? And he said, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Has that changed? No, I don't think so. That's the greatest command. But what does he say the second one is like? Is like it? Love your neighbor as yourself. How closely is it tied? Jesus says the, the second command is like the first. First, give yourself to God. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. How do we ensure that we are giving our best? We need to, first of all, follow the instructions in our giving. We need to make sure that's always the case, that we are always following after God's word. Not make, not... Uh, introducing anything that God has not uh, authorized. 
Not saying, well, I think God would be pleasing with this. No. God tells you what he is pleased with. To make sure that we're following instructions in our giving. Let's make sure that we want to give. We have to have that, that heart behind everything in this. Make sure that we're wanting to give. Not begrudgingly, but purposefully. With the right heart and the right attitude. We need to appreciate the fellowship in our giving. I think we lose sight of this sometimes. Like I said, we keep the lights on and the, the air conditioner, a nice cool 70 degrees in here, right? It costs money. It provides for us to be comfortable in, this, in the heat of Florida. And, it, and it's a worthy expenditure because we are engaging in the spreading of the gospel in this community. But let's not get bogged down in that. Let's remember that the majority of what the monies are to go for are to, to evangelize. They are to care for needy saints. And they are for, to edify one another. The monies that we spend on Bible class material or whatever those expenditures, the proper expenditures might be, that's what we need to be focused on. And appreciate that that, that fellowship that we have amongst ourselves is, is wonderful. And it also extends out to the needy saints that we know of, that we come in contact with. Finally, we can say it this way. We need to give like the Macedonian churches gave. That great example that we have there of how they, out of their poverty, out of their affliction, they found joy in giving. I'm quite certain they had it a lot worse than we do. Our lives are vastly easier and more wealthy than 90% of the world's population. I, those numbers are off the top of my head, but I think you get the point. We sometimes fall back and, and understand and, and lose sight of how blessed we are in this country, in the world that we live. Let's make sure that we don't lose sight of suffering people in the world. And we have opportunity as they come along to help needy saints and give as those Macedonian churches did and find the joy in giving. And that will help to ensure that we're giving our best to God. I hope this lesson has been encouraging to you. We offer an invitation at the end of our time together. The invitation is extended so that those who don't know Jesus Christ those who have not put on Christ through the waters of baptism, the invitation is given to you. The invitation, if you want to learn more about the gospel, to learn more about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, we are prepared to help you in that as well, to help you study, to help you grow in your knowledge, to help you get to that point where indeed you are ready to be baptized. If as a child of God you... Uh, have lost your way, have lost sight of some of these things that we talked about this morning, and have lost that first love. Remember how our Lord chastised the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus there in Revelation 2. I have, you do, you're doing these things right, but you've lost your first love. If you're in that group, I would encourage you to make things right with God. If there's any way we can help you, you can let us know by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.